mai ke kai kuwa e nuana i ka uluhala o ke ao, a ka aina ka ilila o lalo o ka waiku au hoi. Aloha nui ka koa pau. Our velina or greeting today makes reference to the easternmost moku or district of all the Hawaiian islands, Puna, where the sun first rises beyond the resounding sea that sighs to the groves of Hala. We follow the sun then to Lehua at the western edge of the archipelago, where it's snatched away. We invite our listeners to contemplate the significance of both Puna and Lehua as places, as well as the deeper meaning of this Olalo Noeo, or poetical saying. Mahalo for joining my co-host Leilani and me as we feature Vahipana, or storied places of Puna, during today's podcast. Velina mai, welcome to Kaleo Kaulua. Aloha Lei, I hope you're doing well. Aloha mai, Andrew. Mai kai noao. Pehea oi. Mai kai. Mahalo. Would you be so kind as to introduce our special guest? I would love to, Drew. Leila Kealoha is the daughter of John David and Gail Kealoha and was born and raised in Lower Puna from Kalapana to Kapoho and continues to live there with her husband and Keiki. She is passionate about ensuring our places are protected, preserved, and held in perpetuity for our Keiki and for the generations to come. She has been a teacher with Kua Okala Public Charter School for over 17 years with a focus on environmental science. Leila earned her teaching license in science and natural resources through Halau Vanana at UH Hilo. She also received two associate's degrees from Hawaii Community College, both in liberal arts and tropical forest ecosystems and agroforestry management. Her bachelor's degree is from Ashford University in environmental studies, and her master's degree is from Shamanad in Educational Administration. Along with her husband, Leila started the Kealoha Aina Foundation to service the needs of community members in forestry, agriculture, and natural and cultural resource management. She is dedicated to serving the Puna community through her commitments to many important boards, committees, councils, and task forces, all with the intent to support the well-being of the people, its food producers, landscapes, and native forests of Puna, including the cherished Ohia Lehua. Aloha Leila. Welcome to our podcast. I first made your acquaintance on the Ahakuka, the council that created an award-winning comprehensive management plan for Waukeleo Puna, the largest lowland rainforest in the islands. And your contributions to that council were wide and deep. You brought your affection, your aloha, and your commitment to Puna to our proceedings, sharing your knowledge, demonstrating your respect for Ohana, Kupuna, and Aina of Puna all throughout. And your commitment to educating the Keiki of Puna is also so commendable. And I mahalo you for allowing my college students the opportunity to come to visit Kuaukala when it was still located in Puala in Puna and learn from your own haumana, your students. It's clear that your haumana respect and appreciate you. And we mahalo you for being here today so that we can learn more about Puna through the ma'olelo that you are willing to share. Mm, mahalo, Drew. It's just, it's wonderful to be here today. And I'd love to share about my haumana and the places where I'm from. Aloha e Leila. It's a pleasure to finally meet you. Uh, we're excited to have you here with us today and to hear your perspective on Puna. What mo'olelo will you be sharing with us? I'll be sharing mo'olelo about uh, the area of Puala'a as well as Pohoiki today. Nani. Uh-huh. Hi. So aloha everyone. My name is Leila. Ke aloha. Uh, I am from Puna, born and raised there. Uh, I was I was born into a family, um, the Kealoha Ohana. My dad is John David uh, Kealoha. 
His father is Gabriel Luka Keloha. He was born in Kaimu. My grandmother is Mary Kawailani Makuokani, and she is from Opihikau. And my ohana st- extends basically from the Kalapana area all the way into Kapoho. My great-grandfather, Thomas Makuokani, was born in Kapoho. And our family just frequented the, the coastline all throughout my life. So I had the opportunity to really be from mostly in Kalapana area. But when we when the eruption came, uh, when I was about six, it started. It started. And, you know, I watched my childhood over seven years it took to get to Kaimu. And so she finally came, Tutipele finally came into Kaimu and covered that area. And so we began to migrate more bounds towards the, the coastline. My family are fishermen as well as farmers. And so we spent a lot of time at Pohuiki as well too. And my grandfather, uh, Gabriel, was a longtime fisherman of that place. Um, not just boating, but they used canoes back when he was young as well too, as well as my father and my uncles were fishermen, which eventually got passed on to me. And so when I was about 11 or 12, I started to fish on the boat as well too. Um, and we didn't just fish on the boat, but we also fished from land as well too. So, but that was sort of their their um, their livelihood and their practice was fishing on a boat um, out of Pohiki, as well as before before the eruption came as well too. And then growing up, they spent a lot of time going down to Hilinapali, Apua Keho Apua, um, Apua area to gather. My grandfather was known as the Opihi man, and so he would gather Opihi from there to sell to survive and to take care of his family with my father, my uncle Jr., Gabriel um, Jr. And they would take one donkey and go down for a couple of days, do their thing, gather, and then come back. And we'd meet them there. You know, it was a long hike and a long walk. I never had the opportunity to go, but one day I will. So, uh, and then, because being at Pu'ala'a, and I meant to share what the, what the name of Pu'ala'a, where it comes from. Really, there's two different Mo'olelor stories that I was shared with. Um, the first being the chief Pula'a. Pula'a was a chief of the area, and he was the brother to uh, Anaiho Omalu and Pu'ako. And his parents were Va'ava'a and Anahulu. And being that he was a male, he you know usually males are okay to be on their own in in traditional times, and so. <laughs> Uh, but the daughters, Anaiho Omalo and Puoko, uh, actually married chiefs in Kona. And so they moved to Kona side. And their parents thought it was a good idea to go keep an eye on them. And so there are two pu'u above Anaiho Omalo um, and Puoko that are pu'u vapa and pu'u anahulu, which are the parents of Pula, uh, um, the chief of that area. Uh, the other one, the other mo'olalo, the story of the name comes from its particular planting style. The word pu'u or pu'e pu'e, pu'u pu'u or pu'e pu'e, which means to mound. And ala'a was a specific type of taro that was grown in that area. And because it was an area that had a lot of rock, puna is known for rock, by the way. Uh, We don't have much soil or dirt. And so many of the planting styles were used with with pohaku or rocks. And so they would mound the pohaku up and specific to that area was the hollow trees. So they would mound the rocks around the bases of the hollow trees and those roots, like those fingers that would go into the ground. And they would plant the pula pula or the, the, the little um, sprouts or the huli of the, the kalo. And then eventually when they got big enough, they would take the tops off. 
and then the sun could come in and they would grow. So it was a specific type of planting style to that area. And many people think that rocks are mm, maybe a nuisance. I won't say a nuisance, but like something that's not usable, right? But for us, it's a major resource <laughs> in Pune because we use it for everything. So we spent a lot of time there. And then, you know, of course, on a poiki. And so I just, you know, I just, that's my... My life, just growing up there, is just where I want to be. And I don't ever foresee myself going anywhere else. You know, I'm, I'm raising my children now in that area. And I spent a lot of time at Pu'ala'a. And how that happened was in 2003. So I, in 2001, I started with the forest team program at Hawaii Community College. Spent my years in forestry and I graduated in 2003. I get this phone call from Auntie Susie Osborne. They're starting this school down at Pula. And I was like, what? Okay. Um, they, they asked me if I wanted to do um, science and math tutoring with them and write a forest management plan. So I was like, oh, 15 minutes down the road compared to going to Hilo, the national park. And I was like, sure. And my two sisters were two of the first students of Kuokala. And so I began my journey then 2004 with Kuokala. And so we spent half our days at Pula, which is located just down the coastline from Pohiki, about mm, less than three miles. And if you came from the harbor heading towards the North Kumukahi area, uh, that's where you would find Pula. And then we spent half the days at Opikau Church. And when I first got to the place of Pula, it was just amazing. Um, being a person that, that graduated in forestry in the forest team program, the forest was just unbelievable. I mean, beautiful trees there. Trees that I've never seen before. The alahe'e, which is a, a native indigenous tree that's used for o'o or the digging sticks and tool handles and a very dense hardwood with beautiful lush green leaves and kamani trees, which are an introduced tree, but they're... They're very rare to find now. And they, these were old trees, you know, a hundred years old, possibly. Um, and it, not only just the forest of the area that was beautiful, noni trees um, and ohia, but the, it, was, it was a village, a fishing village. And so there was many intact archaeological sites, uh, about 40 acres or so. And so on my first walks of the area... You could really just feel the mana or the power of the place in our kupuna that had been there before us. And starting this Hawaiian Focus Charter School with the kids chanting in the morning and just learning Hawaiian values and practices of making emu and gathering and being in the fish ponds is just, I mean, amazing. And I knew I had made the right decision to be there. And in my first six months of being there, Uncle Keiki Aloha Kekipi, who's one of the founders of Kuokola and Ho'u'ulu Lahui, which is their nonprofit, um, did a lot of kuka kuka with me, talk stories. And because I was doing the forest management plan, I needed to get some of the history of the place. And so he took me on these walks of the area and shared a lot with me. And when I mentioned about the archaeological sites in the fishing village itself, um, there were water wells, 
there were house sites, planting sites um, that were all made out of stone. And one really significant portion of the village as well, too, was that there were the Makahiki grounds, which is the place where they would do the ancient Hawaiian games during Makahiki season. Um, and not only that specific, um, those specific sites, but um, Ivikupuna, which is the bones of our ancestors. So as we walk through the Makahiki grounds, um, there's also an area that was used as a ku'ula or a fishing shrine um, that we went out, um, was on the walk out to Kalea, the bay there in the front, um, and specifically out in those areas too. So the the Iliapua'a, um, which is a smaller land division within the Ahupua'a of Kiahialaka, um, or the larger land division, um, that particular aina is um, family to Uncle Keiki, Kikipi. And the rights of the people that were in that place extended out into the ocean. And so the fishing grounds in those areas um, were part of the people's or the the kuleana or the responsibility of the people of that area. And that was for them to malama or to take care. And so that area was known out there in the ocean as one of the opelukoa uh, or the fish that the the ahi, you know, they they kind of go back and forth. So there's a opelu season, there's an ahi season, um, but the koa was out there. And so as I'm walking through these these places and hearing these things from Uncle Keiki, um, I learned about uh, my great-grandfather and him sharing that my great-grandfather used to come through that area and walk on the trail system because there's a, there's a trail system on our coastline. And through there, of course, was the trail along the ocean. And our our area, Puala, extended out from next to Ahalanui, the warm ponds, all the way down to Pohakupala. And so out from Kalea, the bay of the area there, we would walk down, would be Hala Point, um, some more tide pools, all the way down into Pohakupala. And past Pohakupala is the area called Waiopai. And my grandfather, my great-grandfather, used to take my grandfather, who married his daughter, my grandma Mary, um, to gather opaiula from those areas. And they would use that opaiula to feed the opelukoa. And so even up until my grandfather's days, um, having that tradition of gathering opaiula to feed the opelu was still very strong. Um, and then things changed as time went on. But those trails, those areas, I was fortunate enough to learn about these things and to teach that to my haumana, my students. And every year I would take my students out to these areas. And one really important thing that our children learn was asking for permission. Anytime you go anywhere, you always ask for permission. So in the mornings, every day we would do Vahana or opening and we would ask for, they would ask for permission to enter into the place. And so a puna ho'iao is the name of the chant that was used for us to, in the mornings, they would ask for permission to enter into that space. And we would komo that man, we would um, allow them that entrance into that space. And even if it was just in the mornings, it was also to go into the forest, to go into the fish pond, to go to the beach, no matter where we went, 
And even if we left Pu'ala'a and went somewhere else, we always ask for permission to enter into that place, as well as mahalo or thank the place for being there or gathering there. Um, so that's really important. It still is important. And I really just hope that they carry those things on, you know. Um, we would gather coconut the sprouts, the coconut sprouts, and we would go down to Pohakupala and plant them on the coastline. Um, because the 1960s, there was an eruption that came through, and that was part of the area that got covered by the 1960s eruption. So it was very young uh, land, young ohia trees and forests in that area, and there's there wasn't much shade, so it was very hot. And especially with miles of, of black lava everywhere. So when you walked out there, it was very hot. And so we would take the coconut trees and plant them on the coastline, um, not only just to have eventually have shade, but to eventually have food and um, to kind of protect the coastline, to keep the coastline intact, right? Because it's part of a mm, way to keep the rocks intact. What was also interesting about being out there at Pohakupala, you could turn from the ocean and look up towards the land and you could see Kalua Bayapeli, the mountain. Um, you could see Halekamahina, you could see Pu'uhonu'ula, all these Pu'ukali'u, all these different Pu'u that were signifiers in our, in our area that were, and so it was a vantage point for the people that lived there. And you could also see far out into the ocean. And so it was a it was a point where the the Lavaia would go to see, you could see Kumukahi, um, which is a very sacred, special place to many of us as well, too. And so we're very fortunate to have had that space and that time to be in that place. And you know, it was so unique and special just having all these different trees and coconuts coconut trees everywhere and little hot ponds everywhere and you know going into our campus it was just amazing uh and it's so important that we have these these traditions still because the school was founded on basically teaching our kids how to perpetuate the Hawaiian cultural practices and being in that space to have and that time to have that opportunity um, is just amazing and you know we would go now we go the other way and then you come right around Poiki Bay all kamani trees and coconut trees and different types of trees and you come to what we call Kailaka some call it Kailaka some call it Kiahialaka but I grew up knowing it as Kailaka and yeah it's just a it's a real hard thing right now to see those places well they're not there no more Poiki's there but the ramp is is you know kind of closed and there's a new beach out there and there is just miles of lava everywhere from Poiki all the way back to Kumukahi basically is all under lava now and so it makes it just a really just keeping those memories and those things alive, I think, are really important. And I'm so thankful that our, our children and our Kiki and our community have had the opportunity to like really be in that space. So another thing that I wanted to just uh, touch on is about Kumukahi 
And so an important aspect of why I want to share is because Kua Okala is translated to back of the sun. And back of the sun, the reference to back of the sun refers to the Akua Kane. And Kane being the, the god or the Akua of life is related to Kumukahi. Kumukahi translates to the first source and that first source being the first source of light and the first source of life. And so our mo'olelo of our school and kuokala is very tied to kumukahi and kane. And we would take our students there, um, not just our students, but many of us for, for many, many years and many cultural practitioners go to kumukahi specifically because it is the first source of light. And it's very significant. It's, it's one of the most significant places in our Pai'aina, in our islands, because of that's where the first light comes from. So I think just sharing about that space at Kumukahi and the Akuakane and how it signifies the representation of who we are as a school and have been all these years because of the back of the sun, which is Kane. And if we go back and look at the Mo'olelo or the stories of what that um, is, and it's because Papa and Wakea were together and in between were their children. And there was this, this kind of ongoing battle for so long because they were in eternal darkness. And they fought over, like, you know, we should um, break out and be free. And no one wanted to do it, basically. But finally, Connie got on all and got on all fours and pushed his parents apart. And that was the first light. And so that that understanding of there being eternal darkness and then that first light coming to us, the beginning of life, is there at Kumukahi. And it's that area along that area. And it's it's really right there in our backyards and where we've all been all this time. All those areas along the Puna coastline are so significant and so special. And Tutupele is very prevalent in our area. And you know, going from there down at Kumukahi up into Kalua Vayapele, which is the first pit that she dug in our area, all the way up the seven craters that she dug up until she finally got to Halima'uma'u and found her resting place, right? Uh, so a lot of Okua, the, the, the spirits and our gods, like they've dwelled in those places for a very long time. And so it's very sacred to our people in our places and it's just um, it's important to remember those things and just passing those things on to our to our keiki to our kids and to our children because otherwise we lose it and we lose our identity of who we are and as a people because it is becoming so different and I'll just stop there mahalo 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 I think that a lot of us recognize that Una is the most dynamic moku you know, in, in the Hawaiian Islands. And, and it, I mean, based on what you've shared, Leila, it, 
certainly sounds like longtime residents who have deep, deep ties with the area know that, you know, this is a place that might require that they have to relocate or change, you know, change their their practices to a certain degree. But it seems like there's a change. I mean, as, as times change, people change too in our lifestyles as well. And I wonder if the the people who live in in this part of Puna today understand the dynamism of the landscape that they inhabit, or maybe they are coming to terms with it or being forced to come to terms with it. I mean, there's this ancestral knowledge, right, of the people of Puna who, who know, they know that things are going to shift. But I wonder about society today. Hmm. Yeah, it's very, it's very um, difficult. And being able to teach our keiki the ancestral knowledge and to carry that on has become more challenging. Um, we do, as the people of the area, need to be nalu and go with the, you know, the changing of times and the changing of tides and and how things change. But it's just not an easy thing. It does take time, you know, even though we know that we are just the stewards of the land mm. and that we only have what we have for the length of time we have. It's just not an easy thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. Something else you mentioned was the specific planting style of the kalo with the hala and the name pu'ala'a. I had never heard of that type of kalo that you mentioned. So that's new information for me. And I, I love to yeah. learn about the plants and then all the beautiful trees that you mentioned as well. And I can just imagine all the things that the people of that place use them for the different implements, like how you mentioned the OO bar. And these are things that we take for granted now. It's like, oh, I want one of these things, but we don't have the la'au, the, the trees to use to make them. Yeah, there's a lot of resources that have that are now preserved in perpetuity under Tutupele. And, you know, it's just <clears throat> sometimes we do take things for granted. Never would we ever have thought that 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 she would come that way. And we would never see it again, you know, but we're just fortunate for the time that we did have to spend there and to teach what we were able to teach. And like I mentioned, to have our Hamana like carry those things on regardless of where they go in life, right? Do you think that the 2018 lava flow affected what happens out at sea in terms of the fish? Oh, huge, huge impact on our ocean. There... I mean, one thing it's done, it's affected the, the Lavaia and the fishing, being able to, to access the ocean from that area. But I think, you know, uh, it's really given the ocean some time to rest as well because of so many people fishing. So in one sense, it's a good thing. In one sense, it's, it's a really challenging and difficult thing. But the sea life for sure has definitely changed. Limo populations are not as prevalent you know, they're just starting to see some stuff come back along the coastline, for sure. Yeah. Though it can be seen as an interruption to lifestyles and stuff. Um, like you mentioned, it is kind of a reset, a way for the ocean life and land to kind of take that pause from the effects of Kanaka going there in various yeah. ways. No, it is. And so, I mean, those are some, those are our ho'elona, our signs sometimes of like, it's just time to rest and recover right and even though it's like a really difficult thing to see so much of our spaces and places be covered by lava um 
our people have lived through it for generations. Mm-hmm. You know, we move from spot to spot to spot. And so, but I think in in this time and age, it's a, just a more challenging time because um, we're just used to a different way of life, I guess. But it just takes time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Leila, you also mentioned the importance of Laka to the area. Um, and I'm thinking about particular plants that I've observed in in the area around Puala, for example. Do you mind sharing a little bit more about the laka and tree connection? Yes, for sure. So I did mention about alahe, but I, I did not mention, which is what well, one tree, the lama tree, that was very significant and prevalent to that place. Some of the most largest lama trees that I'd ever seen in my life, uh, which is why when I first made it to that place and I was walking through the forest with Uncle Kiki that and seeing this llama and alahe'e and all these different trees was just so llama is one of the most significant trees to laka which means light or enlightenment or you know it represents the light and so and it's and it's not something that's found um hardly anywhere and, and in the Kona side you'll find it but it's not the same as the Puna type which gets very straight and uh big mm. and it was very prevalent in that forest down there mm. and that's the connection with Laka. Mm. Mahalo for sharing that. Yes, Mahalo. Mahalo Nui Leila for sharing all of the beautiful spaces in from Kapo, Kalapana, Kaimu, you know, um, Pu'ala'a. I'm glad to hear such vivid descriptions because although I don't personally have a connection to those spaces, my daughter was able to experience them and you just shared so much that I can actually see them and, and feel the, like how you mentioned the mana of those places. And it's very important that we speak about them and make sure they continue living on through all of the students that you, whose lives you touched and you're carrying on the important work that you do. So I just want to mahalo you for coming and sharing with our listeners. Mahalo for having me. It's been an incredible journey. Um, you've taken us along this majestic, incredible coastline of Puna, um, one that you have these deep, deep ties to. And, and we're really grateful to have gone on this journey with you and your students and your family. Um, it's been a pleasure. We're very grateful to you. Mahalo nui. Mahalo Andrew for having me as well too. I really appreciate you folks for, for doing this as well too. And with that, mahalo nui to Leila for visiting us here at Kaleo Kauluo and for sharing such beautiful familial connections with places such as Pu'ala'a, Pohoiki, and Kumukahi in Puna. And Leila has reminded us about the landscapes and traditional practices of some Vahipana along the coastline, which is particularly important, given that some of those places are no longer with us exactly in the same way that they once were because of the activity of Pele. And Leila also has given us hope that this knowledge will continue to be passed on through future generations. And finally, she reminded us of some very appropriate ways to interact with those spaces and places in which we live, including asking permission and extending a mahalo to them. These lessons are very important, I agree. There are still more mo'olalo to hear in this moko of Puna. Mahalo again for lending your ears, our dear listeners, to this episode of Kaleo Kauluau and to our special guest, Leila Kealoha. Please join us again for our next episode, 
And don't forget to visit our website and follow us on Facebook and Instagram for more. Until next time, ahui ho. Aloha.